Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle on Braves FC podcast, a podcast focusing all things pro soccer, the DMV, and across the United States. My name is Jose Omaño, sports writer for the Sports Post, and joining me as always is our co-host, Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, man. I'm just tuckered out from all this soccer that's been going on this weekend. I'm pretty sure by the end of August, we're all going to be like, okay, that's it. I can't take any more soccer tournaments at this point. Yeah, there's too much soccer going on. I had to take a break myself and just like live life. I couldn't do it no more. But we'll get to all the soccer cut from the weekend momentarily. But first, we have to discuss what is our local news of the day. And that is Jaime Moreno and Kevin Payne earlier this week finally making it to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Jaime Moreno finally gets in via the veteran players ballot. We'll get to what the hell that means in a second, but just in case you guys didn't see it, uh, Moreno was informed as a surprise by his former teammate and Hall of Famer John Harks during the halftime broadcast of the U.S. versus Costa Rica match. Jaime uh, gets in after a 15 years, 15 seasons playing with DC United and the Metro Stars in Major League Soccer, and then Kevin Payne, who was informed by Sunil Gulati and uh, Hall of Famer Bruce Arena at a special luncheon under the Builder ballot in South Carolina. Mario, what are your thoughts on both these uh, important pieces of United's inaugural season and seasons thereafter finally getting their due in the Hall of Fame? Dear U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, what took you so long to put Jaime Moreno in here? Come on, man. He should have been in this Hall of Fame. But uh, with that aside, I'm happy because I don't know about you, Jaime Moreno is, I don't know, one of the most important players in MLS history. I'm just happy that he finally gets his recognition as such. And also him playing for the Metro Stars. We could say that in air quotes because I'm pretty sure he somewhat just went there by passing and called out injured, injured allegedly. In the middle of the Jersey Turnpike, like oh, I can't, I can't play this week. I'm injured from a payphone somewhere on the on the pike. But other than that, I think, yeah, finally he get his gets his long he gets his long overdue recognition for someone that helped build this league and, and made a name for himself in this league. And I think that that's kind of uh, that, that's kind of important. And I'm really happy for him. I'm also really happy for Kevin Payne long getting his uh getting his recognition because he's the architect of not only just the league, but the architect of what DC United was in the early years of the league. And also, let's face it, I love the fact that Bruce Arena gave him the news dressed in his Sopranos best. <laughs> it's a good video. If you've seen it, it's on the, the National Soccer Hall of Fame website. Uh, in terms of Marino, Marino's my favorite player. I guess I grew up as my favorite player of all time. Uh, you know, the stats say it themselves, 133 goals, retired as the leader in goals scored in Major League Soccer, first to make it to the 100-100 club, recording 100 goals in a career plus 100 assists, was the first player to do it. Uh, you know, stats say it better himself, uh, MLS Cup MVP in 97, Golden Boot winner in 97, winner of multiple trophies. He was the architect of the comeback in 96, 
Uh, United was in last place in the dumps, and they make this weird transfer. This kid from Middlesbrough, it's a Bolivian named Jaime Moreno, bring him over to DC, and from the first, from the fourth minute of his first match, makes an impact, scoring across from Raúl Díaz Arce, and so you you go from there to the impact he's built. Throughout his career. Fun, like fun the- fact of, of actually fun fact from how he got to DC. The United States was playing a friendly in nineteen ninety-six against Bolivia, weirdly enough at RFK. And I'm guessing Kevin Payne just so happened to be in yep. the building. Yep. And Jaime Moreno scores in like the first fifth in the first five minutes of that game. That's how they were able to be convinced to bring Jaime Moreno here to DC and the rest is as everybody says, history. Yeah, Marco, when he heard, you know, that Kevin was interested, Marco was like, yo, you better go get him. Like, it was it was one of those, like, you better go get him. Yeah, I'm mad a little that he wasn't able to get in as a player for the first 10 years. But the reality is that the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame is like the other Hall of Fames. is just really in its ways, and this was part of its first changes. I'll take it. I'm one of those people, I'll take it how I can get it at this point. And I think that he's well-deserving. Marco was second place. They were literally tied with the same amount of votes in the veterans uh, ballot. And they had to go to a second round. And then Jaime broke away with 74 votes to 56. So clearly, Marco's going to get it next year. But I think it's been due, due that Marco gets in. But I think that Jaime has done well more than enough and his impact as a player far exceeds what a lot of people think about MLS players. He was a guy in the community. He was built, you know, his, his impact as a player. He was never a dirty player either. He was always out there trying to trick defenders any way he can, whether it's making that perfect pass, the perfect dummy, or taking the perfect shot. He always wanted to leave perfection on on the field, and he's the best example of what you want in a striker. Always open, always willing to create a second chance with his plays. And so he should have been in the Hall of Fame. It's about time. Kevin Payne, he created the first dynasty in MLS. That alone gets, should get you in the Hall of Fame. But the fact that the man was part of the production of the 94 World Cup, the man helped manage close to four to five MLS teams during the 2000s when AEG bought all these MLS teams and then restarted DC United's winning era with the Freddie when the Freddie Adu era began. So the man knows how to build a winner. The one blemish, and we're going to make fun of it, and we might as well, was the building the stadium thing. But that's it, the smallest blemish when you consider how much everybody loves going to RFK. So outside of that, you know. And his one-year tenure at, at Toronto. But outside of that, those two blemishes, honestly, the man, he li- you lives and breathes U.S. soccer. The fact that he's still working with youth and the U- U.S. soccer youth club organization and part of the competitions committee at MLS shows you how much he loves the game here. And he's, well, he's more than deserving as part of the builders of ballot. I I mean again I could I'll take it how you could get take it how you could get it at this point but yeah I think Kevin Paid is very well deserving yeah that blemish with the stadium I think one of the best stories I heard of, of it I don't know if it's true or not again this is just a this is just a story not 
is that allegedly he would say that talks would be going well with the DC Council going with the, with stadium talks and allegedly nothing he didn't really talk to him so i'm just assuming he was in a mirror going oh mr Payne, yes we would we we love the ideas that you're bringing for the new stadium of course we'll give you the land at buzzard's point just giving himself his own handshake like shaking his other hand that that's how i feel like is just talking in the mirror but other than that i think kevin Payne, for all it's worth that minor blemish and it's still a pr- it's still a much more like of an endear- kind of something more endearing and making fun of a little bit than anything else. He he was one of the main architects for MLS. Like he he came up with with the idea. Also, like you said, was part of the committee that brought the World Cup to the United States in 1994, and was able to build a winner here in DC. Some something that I think go goes on that goes unnoticed is he was able to work together with Dave Casper and together both of them, especially being Kevin Payne being the was he the GM at the time? I don't I don't remember off the top well, of my he was head. the he was the club president from two thousand four club president and CEO two thousand four to his resignation in twenty twelve. So like he in that's when he brought in uh Dave Casper after two thousand four. All right, so th- thank you for the clarification there. But anyway, he was able to build a juggernaut in, in many aspects. So I think, yeah, Kevin Payne deserves that recognition of not only just being the first man to build the first great dynasty in MLS, but just helping build the infrastructure of what U.S. soccer is today. And I guess back going to Jaime Moreno, I think I could talk a little more on the community aspect. So if what people don't if people don't know, the DC area, in particular Northern Virginia, has a really heavy pop heavy Bolivian population, in particular in Arlington and Fairfax counties. And so he Jaime Moreno is uh, very well respected in the community because he does a lot of work. Because I think he lives in Arlington, if I'm not mistaken. So he does a lot of work along with uh, members of the Bar Brava, in particular Oscar Zambrano, who's the president of Bar Brava. So they do a lot of work together around the community, so which is also really commendable. And he's just a presence. I've seen Jaime Moreno numerous times at at games at either RFK or or Audi Field. So he's always been a present a presence in the club, whether playing on the field or being or off the field, just as a supporter or just being there in the community. So I think that's really well deserved and it speaks well on both Jaime Moreno and Kevin Payne. But yeah, I'm just happy that these two finally get the recognition they deserve. You know, like I'll say, I'll end it with this and and then we'll go on to another topic, but you know, they, in an era where people tend to forget history a lot, the fact that these two, especially in DC in particular, are finally being recognized is great because we're living in Audi, with Audi Field. There's a section of the fan base that feels a little bit of like United losing touch with its, you know, with with, with its history. The trophies are in the team store, not in a dedicated space. All this, you know, you hear it for fans from time to time. But if there's one thing, it's like when you're a club legend like Harry Moreno or a club presence, 
like Kevin Payne was, like those things aren't forgotten as easily as people think. And the club is going to be forced to like always reintroduce and remind people who these legends were. And I think that this is just perfect because it mortalizes them for who they were in jumpstarting the first dynasty and also in both of their cases coming back in 2004 and reigniting what is what I think is the first case of MLS teams really showing their true interest in playing internationally. Yes, DC won the Inter-America's Cup, won the CONCACAF Champions Cup in the 90s, but it was really after 2004 when they would play those Copa Sudamericanas and get all the way to the quarters and really show like MLS teams, you want players with talent? You want to pay attention to how we're doing it. We're going out, we're competing, we're we're putting MLS to the side because we want to get our name recognition. And to be honest, that name recognition internationally has helped them with moves ever since 2005, 2006, 2007, when they competed the three times they played the Copa Sudamericana. So that's really the emphasis of what you see now. Those two were part of an era that battled for name recognition. And now you see it now. LAFC, people fear them when they play against them. They almost won the CONCACAF Champions League. You have teams like Toronto who put the fear in Mexican teams around Salt Lake. There had to always be a start point. And Moreno, him coming in, embracing D.C., Embracing being a part of the project and taking on the challenge as the top striker. And Kevin Payne just not even caring about soccer status in the country. saying, I'm going to build the juggernaut and you guys aren't going to give a damn, but it's okay because we're going to win trophies and then you're going to have to give a damn. Like that attitude is what sparked that 90s dynasty and the comeback and the resurgence in 2004. And it should always be immortalized from here on out, and I'm glad that they're finally going to get that recognition. Right, and also, like, just, like, them playing international tournaments also helped with the name recognition to bring, so, like, players of some international caliber, in particular Marcelo Gallardo in 2008. And uh, this isn't Kevin Payne, but I want to think this helps a little more just on the whole name recognition thing, The Wayne Rooney, bringing Wayne Rooney into the fold in 2018. Yeah, it, it helps when you have a brand that is known internationally. Like, even to this day, my dad still remembers those teams of the, of the 90s fondly. He remembers Jaime Moreno. He remembers John Harks, Eddie Pope, Tony Sané, Jeff Agus, Marco Echeverri, Raul Diaz Arce. He's like the seventh name he remembers fondly on that list, but, you know, that's either near nor th- here nor there. But it helped just bringing DC, putting DC United's name on the map, and these two were integral in helping, helping out in putting DC United's name out there in the stratosphere of sorts. And also, you know, New York Red Bull should also help uh, recognize their first original owner, Jaime Moreno, in, in, in and just congratulating him making it into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> He got in before Thierry Henry, so you know. Um, one last thing, and then <laughs> one last thing there's, there's like a special section in Red Bull Arena that says, "Here are all the goals Jaime Moreno scored against us. Broke the all-time MLS leading goal scoring record. Did that? It's right there. Scored 100 I was at that game. 
Yeah. Uh, this World War thing, we can at least thank Kevin Payne for the iconic black jersey. He was the one that helped with the design. Um, said he just wanted something basic. Let's just put the three stripes across, and boom, that's the look that apparently every DC old head wants and desires. Even soccer fans that aren't old look at that look and go, I want that. <laughs> and then you got to think it's Kevin Payne. It's a pretty Payne. iconic look. I can't, we can't lie here. Like, and you got to thank Kevin Payne for the fact that the team is named DC United. Like the Athletic uncovered it. Apparently, there were so many different names. He said, let's just keep it simple, stupid, and just DC United. Yes, it, it's, it was the first of what became now the all the teams being named United SC or FC. But at the time, uniting DC, Maryland, Virginia had a thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. First off, Kevin Payne was the first person to recognize drip when you see it. Because let's face it. It's a classic look, and it was short, sweet, and to the point. You don't add that many colors to it or whatever crazy color schemes you see you see in jerseys now. And even today, DC United sticks to that whole to the whole black, just the black color scheme. And yeah, there's something classic to that look because it was clean. There, it, there wasn't a lot of clutter that you see in a lot of jerseys, and you kind of saw it in early years in the MLS. When it, when it came to jersey designs, I guess it's just the cl- just like weird, crazy color schemes coming for for each team. But DC United was like, "Well, keep it si- just keeping it simple." Uh, I think, yeah, that that I really think Kevin Payne for that, and thank God they didn't name it something ridiculous with Washington in front of, in front of the name. Well, they did have Washington DC United, then they dropped the Washington. See, you did have that for a moment. See, that's too more. That's too long of a name. DC United is short, sweet, and to the point. So yeah, I mean, if anything, Kevin Payne's legacy is transcends more ways than one. So I'm happy for that because could you imagine just going like, yeah, I'm a Washington DC United fan, just walking around. That's kind of a tongue twister. I'm a fan of the United. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that still. But anywho, speaking of the United, uh, starting on June 10th, uh, June 11th, which was Friday, the United can now host full stadiums as uh, venue capacity limits due to COVID have been removed by the city, allowing for Audi Field to have full stadiums. Starting, It will start with its next, DC United's next match, uh, June 19th against it to Miami. But there's still COVID policies in place. I'll get into all the specifics in a second. But Mario, now that we have seen fans at games ourselves, you know, what are some things you think fans who want to come back to a full stadium should expect now with COVID? You know, you haven't been there. We've been to the stadium. We've walked around a couple of times. You know, what are your thoughts uh, that fans should expect when they return? Uh, expect for them to still hold COVID protocols. Yeah, you got a full stadium, but expect to continue to follow the COVID protocols because we're all gonna be packed in there like sardines. So it's gonna it's gonna be something that they'll probably hold on to for a little bit longer. But what I expect is 
a lot more of the atmosphere to come back into Audi Field, which makes a soccer game a lot more enjoyable. I know people want to say like, oh, well, the atmosphere is already rocking with like the capat with the 25% capacity, which is true. I'm not going to lie. It has been pretty awesome just to see, just to have fans back in the stadium. But to see a full stadium back after almost after over a year is going to be something like a lot. It's going to be something much more spectacular because you get a lot more of the acoustics back and you get a lot more of that. We're really we're really in a packed stadium kind of a vibe. But yeah, I think I if you, one of the one things that you should expect as fit as a fan returning to like full capacity would be just adhering to pro the COVID protocols. I know we've seen it in other venues in other sports where people are acting a fool. I don't think we'll get acting fools. I don't think we'll get that at Audi field, but you may never know, but that's just, that's a little bit more of a side note than anything else. I mean, we did have our own incident. It would be dumb not to discuss the fact that there was an incident a uh, match ago where in the supporter section, uh, beer was tossed at a fan, allegedly, and people were removed. Uh, all three support, all four supporter groups have uh, discussed this at length. If you need to find the information, uh, you can. It's readily available. But essentially, those who toss the drinks at the fan um, not welcome to the supporter section anymore. And so one of the things I will say, you're right, you know, code protocols are still in place. Specifically, uh, everyone over three or older are encouraged to wear a mask, but if, if you are fully vaccinated, you, you have the choice not to wear one. Um, those who haven't been vaccinated must wear a mask except when eating or drinking. Players are not going to be giving uh, fans high fives or autographs or photos. Now, there has been a difference at the Spirit Games, but DC United is being clear about it. They are not playing with that one, no. Um, even if they're fully vaccinated, uh, they're, they're just not playing with that for now. Uh, Nationals aren't even doing that either but they do wave they do come to side to side and they wave but uh they no autographs at this time a lot more hand sanitizer locations than before sorry no water fountains but i have been told by the source they're working on that they are trying to work on some kind of water fountains for the future signage has been added but if you're listening to this podcast i'm going to just say it now once you enter that block just take the free dc united wi-fi and get your ticket up already Save yourself the time and energy. And lastly, I put this in the doc. So that me and Mario read off of sometimes. And here where I can tell you. Ticketmaster has completely changed their ticket game now. Your QR code changes every three seconds. So if you don't have your ticket out already and then you go to the gate, A, what are you doing? And B, you should because you can't take a screenshot anymore. You have to have it out. You have to have it on the ready because it will change uh, every time. If you use Ticketmaster, it changes. It's different if you have it on your Apple Wallet or your e-wallet or whatever. But essentially, if you're pulling it out of the Ticketmaster app, don't be that fool and be like, what's going on? What is this barcode? There's not a QR code. That's the new barcode. They were testing it with the XFL games. 
They're kind of already implementing them in MLS. They will implement them during NFL. Just be smart and just make sure everybody has the dang Ticketmaster app before you leave your house, or or you're gonna be in charge of all the tickets. You're gonna you're gonna be the person that's gonna be standing there, and be like one or you go, two you go, three honey you go. Like, don't be that lame and say everybody got your ticket and you know one person doesn't. Don't be that loser. Lastly, charge your darn phones before you come out to the dang stadium. Y'all know DC United still hasn't found a, st- a sponsor so you guys can get a charge station. Let <laughs> me tell you that now. <laughs> you still don't have a sponsor. Unless you got a brick that you're going to carry with you that allows you to charge your phone while you walk, bring it at full charge or close to full charge. Don't think you're going to come to Audi Field at 2%. All right? There is no outlets. Think, guys, it is embarrassing. There are not, unless you are of a specific reason, you cannot have a virtual ticket. We live in COVID now. They don't want, they're not giving out paper tickets anymore. It's either you freaking come prepared or you're screwed out of luck. Also, I think I want to add this. We're entering the future now. Meaning paper tickets are going to be obsolete pretty goddamn soon. So if you if you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, how can I get a paper ticket?" Don't just 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 have your phone on the ready. Don't don't be that person holding up the line, going like, "Oh, I can't I can't pull out my ticket." Don't be that person. Also, rule of thumb, I I have I have a hard time with this sometimes. Turn the brightness up on your phone when you're uh, sco- sco- uh, sco- uh, scanning your QR code. That helps. It helps the process go two seconds faster. Could not confirm this, but the club is set to announce later this week if they're continuing cashless, meaning only vir- virtual pay on your phone or via credit or debit card. Just be smart and bring your damn debit or credit card. The worst thing you could do is bring just a lot of cash and they don't take cash. Trust me, I've seen it. It's hilarious. Also, yeah, also, really, here's your technology report of the day. If you don't want to bring your debit card, you can also download that bad boy to your phone. Google and Apple Pay, people. It's the wave. You don't have to carry your debit card, and you can pay right there with your phone. Short, sweet, and to the point. Now to Mario's happy point when we started. I am happy to see fans come back. It was actually pretty dope to see all the Spirit fans. They had, I think, the first game with the 50% roll. It was just fun to see them back. And it's two different atmospheres. It's going to be fun when we see DC United fans back, especially because it's going to be it's going to be fun to get the more of a crowd, more interactive. People actually notice people like when we we didn't know our, one of our future co-owners was at the dang building because we didn't pay attention. More people will notice that now because you'll have a full house. So, <laughs> oh God, our our new minority owner, Big Trust, is in the building. Woo woo. So so I just think more fans, more fun. It's gonna be a sense of normalcy to get everything back. I already feel it. Um, being at a couple matches, but when it gets to 100% and they see that whole supporter section light up, it's going to be a fun time for sure. Absolutely. Also, that beat my time limit to have fans back out the window big time. Because <laughs> I said we were going to get fans to at least August. 
<laughs> they're like, no, nah, we're t- DC government's like, nah, we're two ahead month, two months ahead of schedule on that one. Yeah, and for those who took advantage of it, you got to take a shot in front of a goal, uh, DC Academy goalkeeper, and got vaccinated. Cool for you. Uh, they do hear of possible second round of that coming soon, but if you haven't gotten it and you want to get something out of it. Nationals are going to have like fan packs. If DC wants to do it again, just keep an eye on it. But there's going to be events to incentivize you to go get vaccine. Plus, I've shot at RFK. It's I had three goals at RFK. It's one of the coolest memories I can say I have. If you can take a shot at Audi Field and to just get vaccinated for doing it, why not? <laughs> Hey, man, you could say that you've got your own memories of, of uh, scoring a goal against a D.C. United Academy goalkeeper at Audi Field. Just do it. Some people, did get, some people did get Chris Sainz. <laughs> and according to TV reports, some of y'all can't take a penalty to save your own life. But I'm not making fun of that. You, at least you got to take a penalty at Audi Exactly. Exactly, exactly. But... To cap off, there's been a lot of soccer. We're just going to breeze through some topics because there's just been a lot of soccer the weekend that's not just local related but internationally related, one of which was the Euros. They started this past weekend, starting on Friday. Italy beat Turkey 3-0. But probably the the biggest story coming out of the Euros outside of, you know, the wins and losses had to be what happened on Saturday in Copenhagen. During the Denmark-Finland match, the 43rd minute, Denmark and Inter Milan midfielder Christian Eriksen collapsed to the ground, requiring immediate, immediate medical attention. He was quickly taken to the hospital afterwards. Um, now reports have come out that Eriksen has, was diagnosed with a heart, a heart attack or cardiac arrest on the field, and medics had to revive him on the field with a defibrillator. Uh, had they not done it immediately, one of the paramedics said, quote, we could have lost him. Um, play was suspended due to the incident, but later resumed where Finland ended up winning 1-0. Mario, knowing everything that went down yesterday, everyone seeing the footage, should they have continued this match? Uh, I personally, I would have waited a day, but I could see where Jelen is running reportedly. The players were able to speak to Christian on the phone before going out there for the restart an hour later. But even still, like UEFA should have taken it out of their hands. You're a big organization. You should have took it out of their hands. Forget TV at that point. It's all about, you know, is Christian okay? And are the players of a mental state to play? And I think you want to make sure that they're mentally okay and psychologically okay. Take it out of their hands. They're going to always want to play to honor their teammate, but it would be just best if you say, nah, man, I can't have you do that right now. We'll wait till tomorrow. Yeah, I would have waited a day, too. You could tell when they were warming up to resume the match, some of the players were visibly still shaken from the whole incident because if anybody watched the watched Christian Eriksen fall down, it was a really scary moment because you don't know what, what could have happened if, they would have gotten to him on to- in time. And so I think just for the sake of their mental health, and because mental health is very important nowadays, yeah, I would have waited a day. I would have waited for them to like coolly, calmly, coll- 
and collect like just collect what they were thinking, their thoughts and everything in between that was going on. I understand you guys. I understand that they wanted to play and everything, but no, I don't think they were in a mental state to do it. You could tell that certain players were still shaken up. Uh, in particular, uh, Kyer, who is Kajer, I they're the team captain for. I probably mispronouncing his name. Uh, was uh, really shaken up, and he also had to console Christian Eriksson's wife during that whole during the the whole ordeal when everything was. Was going it his up. wife? I've heard other reports say that's his sister. That was I. Yeah, I want to say that was his wife. I think they confirmed that was his wife that he was okay. consoling. Big and so, and so, just I think just everything that transpired, I would have waited the a day to at least play this because I don't think anybody was in the right mental mental state to continue on playing. I mean, they, I know some people went on Twitter. And lambasted UEFA for for continuing the game and everything like that. But again, it was uh, it was the players that took the decision. But I personally would have waited a day. But all all in all, I think that's less important. I think the more important part is is I'm glad to see that Christian Eriksen's okay because cardiac arrest isn't or anything cardi or anything heart related. Is not something to play with. It's not. It's not, and it it shows because it it creates those scary situations. It shows that no one's immune to these kinds of things. You may be the healthiest person in the world, and you may and you'll have this kind of a situation. But I'm glad that he's okay. I'm glad that he got the required uh, medical attention and just quick medical attention to save his life. So all all in all, I think that's the most important part. Yeah, agreed. And look, I can't begrudge the players, but that's why I'm saying UEFA needs to be smarter. They need to have some kind of protocol. You know, back when I worked guest services for DC United, an event like this creates a rule going forward. So let's let's not be surprised if UEFA decides, okay, the next time we have a player say like this, this is the protocol going forward so that they take it out of the player's hands. I think they try to think, what they were trying to do is be nice to the players, but ultimately ends up biting them in the butt. Um, Copa America, as we we speak on Sunday, started today as Brazil beat Venezuela in the inaugural match. Thanks to three goals from Marquinhos, Neymar, and Gabriel Barbosa, and also known as Gabigol. Uh, I mean, what is there to say other than why are we playing this tournament? <laughs> like, well, let's it? go with the following. First off, Venezuela had to replace 12 players because 12 of their players got COVID. <laughs> Not only that, you decided to move the tournament from Colombia and Argentina to Brazil. They are the second nation with the with the second highest rates of COVID nineteen. That sounds like I don't know a terrible idea. I don't get why they're playing this tournament. It's bizarre to me. I get it that you want to make money, but MLS played it in a bubble. They played a bu- they played in a bubble in Orlando with three fields. They were able to manage to get a tournament through safely. You could have had a bubble somewhere else in South America that was less infected. But no, what does Comnibol do? 
Oh no! What are we gonna do? I got it. We're moving it to Brazil. Yes, because that sounds like a great idea. When the set, when the country with the second highest amounts of COVID nineteen cases, let's move the tournament there. What a yeah. funny idiot. <laughs> it's clearly political. We heard all the rumors for those who aren't in soccer. This, uh, Joe, uh, Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, pitched it to Comebol and it's turned ultra-political to the point where he's trying to influence the Confederation of Brazil to fire their head coach, who hasn't really said anything that he's been against the tournament. He's not trying to fire the head coach as much as he wants to exile him in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. (laughs) (laughs) Because he believes that he's trying to lead a mutiny of the players. The players are only asking, hey, we weren't consulted. Don't blame us. We're going to come out here. We're going to do what we got to do during World Cup qualifiers. We can't promise anything in terms of Copa America. Uh, to me, the Brazilian players, what they were trying to do for me, what it looked like is just prepare for the blowback if they lose because they're playing at home again. And a lot of those players experienced that last World Cup. A lot of players experienced that, that gold, gold medal winning team, but the stress that came with it. So, I mean, I wish him well. This is going to be rough because it's not a bubble, like you said. And five stadiums, one of which is technically only being used for the finals of four stadiums. And they're not in one segregated place. It would be different if the five stadiums were all in Rio. No, you got one in Brasilia, one in Rio, I think one in Manaus, I think. I'm not sure. One of the stadiums that they wanted to use to have six stadiums wasn't available because it is currently being used as a hospital. And the mayor of the city said to Bolsonaro, yeah, I'm not kicking out patients. That's where we're at with this thing. (laughs) So, I, I mean... I wish, look, what happened with Venezuela is weird. We also have other teams confirming COVID positives. I wish all the guys the best of health. I hope they go out okay. We saw some basketball and NFL players. When they came back and played after COVID, they didn't feel so hot uh, to start. And some still are dealing with effects. Ask Ken all Newton. right, so I got the five, uh, the five cities that are hosting. So it's Brasilia, Guanyanya. Cuiabá and Rio de Janeiro that are hosting this uh, this tournament. Okay. Still pretty far. This isn't mm-hmm. like driving from College Park to D.C. This isn't it. <laughs> no, it is not. And Brazil is a pretty big country. Yeah. Just getting to Rio from Brasilia alone, That's you're talking about at least a two-hour drive. Um, but in the event, uh, speaking of international tournaments, the U.S. men's national team is preparing for not just the Gold Cup, but World Cup qualifiers. They will enter the World Cup qualification rounds in the fall. And we may already know their first opponent as El Salvador in the final playoff of the CONCACAF region before the final eight. Defeated St. Kitts and Nieves 4-0 in the first of two, their two-legged series. And this was away. The second match will be played at El Salvador, in San Salvador, in Cusclan. El Salvador, if it were to remain with these results, and more than likely increase them. <laughs> but if El Salvador wins the series, they are set 
to host the United States in August to start the octagonal round at the final eight, as mentioned, um, of the CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifying. Mario, what are your thoughts of the prospect of our parents' homeland <laughs> hosting the U.S. in August? Yeah, young men, I th- you think you got a welcome to CONCACAF? We'll play the like, Nations League in Denver. Boy, you're going to get a real welcome to CONCACAF if you have to travel to San Salvador because this is going to be one hell of a test. I'm not saying that because of the team. I'm saying that because you're going to get the entire weight of a whole country in a World Cup qualifier that's going to be behind their national team and just tacking on the pressure. You're really going to get the real CONCACAF experience. Once playing in San Salvador. <laughs> so I, I think I think that that's an interesting prospect to think that these guys who mostly played in Europe and haven't really gotten to experience playing what a playing a game is like in Central America, and especially in our parents' homeland of El Salvador, man, you're gonna you're you're gonna get you're gonna have a real interesting awakening because Central America fans, in particular Salvadorian fans, they're boisterous, they're loud, and they're gonna be behind their national team 100%. And one of the things that they're net, they I don't think a lot of these players have experienced is these stadiums have no real separation between the crowd and the field, so they're really gonna be in your face. There will be no COVID protocols in these matches. Let's just put it that way. Um, I, I, look, El Salvador has always been seen as a dark hooters. The United States have struggled to get wins in, in San Salvador. Um, one of the big famous cases I remember was during Bob Bradley's tenure going to El Salvador and being down 2-0 until two good goals. From Brian Ching and Frankie Haydick. Yeah, Brian Ching and Frankie Hayda, and to escape with a 2-2 draw in a match where, yes, the U.S. played well, but, again, El Salvador scored two goals. So this is the same country that with Guatemala Blanco and company during that same Corco qualifying years uh, beat Guatemala Blanco in Mexico. It's that same El Salvador team. So they're always seen as dark horses. They're always going to be given. They also and- beat Costa Rica in that same qualifier. Weirdly enough, it was around the time where Costa Rica was trying to save themselves from not playing Uruguay in the intercontinental playoff. They went into San Salvador, and El Salvador won in the last minute with a goal, I think, from Eliseo Quintanilla, out of all people. If you're a DC United fan, you're probably familiar with the name. But it's not an easy place to play in, especially considering that El Salvador thrives when playing at home. And also, when you get the crowd really behind them, it's going to be one horrible time if you're the, whole, if you're the visiting team. I'm going to disagree. We can disagree on this. It's been a tradition in El Salvador that they play well against the big boys, but then lose against a smaller competition and qualifying. That's why they're always seen as a dark horse. At home, there's so much of that pressure that if you're the right away opponent, you can get a result seen by USA. Um, so 
I do. I am with you in the aspect of I can't wait to see these guys finally get to play in this round and finally get to play against Central America pressure. But I do think Tuesday will give us a better indication on what the crowd's expectations are for this team going forward. It's a very young roster, has several uh, new players coming in from their U23s, um, as well as a new coach. And so I'm... Which, weirdly enough, also played for the USMT in 1994 in the World Cup, Hugo Perez. Exactly. So... He knows the style of player. He recruited some of them to the national team. So he formerly was a head coach and recruit down in the California area uh, before moving on to help the Mexican national team in terms of recruiting. So I I would definitely watch out for Tuesday's match just to see the home pressure because that is an issue that I think is more psychological for the, the Salvadorian player than it is really for the away team. The away team really does have problems with the crowd in terms of their affinity of throwing waste onto the field. <laughs> uh, uh, I am curious if we're going to get the anti-defamation stoppages that uh, CONCACAF is starting to implement because guess what? Those soccer is very notorious for saying the same chance because they see it on TV and they then say do it in their venues. So we'll be interested in seeing that. Well, also- another, thing, I, another thing I'm interested to see, and this is more of a psychological advantage, psychological thing that Salvadori fans do before a game, the night before, they will find out what hotel you're staying at and there will get a whole bunch of people there and just make noise the entire night. They call it La Serenata, and the, 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 the whole thing about it is they won't let you sleep for the entire night. And, yeah, I mean, the fan atmosphere is going to be great, but it's going to be different than what these guys are used to. I I, I just hope that the, what the United States needs to do in the next two months is focus on – Watching El Salvador on Tuesday, watching them in the Gold Cup, see what their weaknesses are, and then prepare to exploit them. How they're going to implement their game plan with all the psychological advantages that are coming with it, with having El Salvador and its atmosphere. But they are going to be the stronger team. They, this is one of the dark horses, but there's a reason why they're a dark horse. They have the talent, but can they put it all together? So I think the United States just needs to have not focus on the outside, but it's gonna. It's good to know finally. No disrespect to Saint Kitts but it's a four-zero away result. Del Salvador got. There's just no way they should be going home to lose five-zero or lose by five. So I thoroughly expect El Salvador to maintain the result and be the U.S.'s opponent come August. I agree. I think that there, there's no way they're gonna. They're going to end up uh, turning back a four-goal deficit, especially considering that the four goals were on the road. I, I think, yeah, I think we'll see El Salvador play the United States, but it, it'll be interesting to see how they, like you said, how they manage home pressure. And I think I kind of agree with you in some aspects that, yeah, sometimes the pressure of being El Salvador playing at home it can be a little much, and I have seen that in the past, that against lesser opponents, they, they struggle at home, but they show up against the big boys. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. It'll also be interesting to see how the United States 
uh, responds to said to the pressures of playing in Central America, because unlike having the pressures of playing here against a visiting crowd, it magnifies tenfold in Central America. So we shall see. It should be interesting, and I should we could be looking forward to the to a very interesting match if that ends up happening when they put when they play in the octagonal or in the final round of qualifying. But in any event, I think it's time for us to head out. Remember, you can always follow me, Jose Omana, on Twitter for more content at Jose underscore Emma underscore Mana. You can always find us on Anchor, Spotify, and all audio platforms. And a special shout-out, as always, to Kevin McLeod and Impotec for the outro and intro music. Uh, before we go, Mario, tell the people how, how how they can find more about you. All right. If you actually, if you want to check out my one-on-one interview that I did with Moises Linares, you could follow or just write my opinions about how my dog loves to bark at the most inopportune times. You can follow me on Twitter at Mario Maya One. You want to follow El Tiempo Latino and get all the latest happenings going around the world and in the DMV. You can follow them too at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter. You can uh, check their, out their website at eltiempolatino.com. Or if you actually want to put money in my pocket so I can continue dripping as I do every summer, you could just buy a physical newspaper, either at your local metro station or at a newsstand. Yep, agreed. And like always, we thank you so much for tuning in to Bad Hombres FC Podcast. And we will also talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Adios.